Chris Yuland is the kind of guy who actually uses the words holy cow in the course of a regular conversation. We were just like, holy cow, how did this happen? And his holy cow, how did this happen moment began about 10 years ago in April 2012. And it involved an unexpected hack. This is the first time he's telling the story to a reporter. You know, we'd, we'd kind of kept quiet about it for so long. Yuland is a serial entrepreneur. And a little more than a decade ago, he started a company called Max CDN. It was a global content delivery service. So it was loading content locally to make websites run faster. It was based in LA. And we got this very, very weird live chat that we thought was fake at first. It was a um, gentleman with a weird name basically saying that, you know, he uh, was going to hack us. The customer service rep called Yuland over, and Yuland is watching the back and forth between his employee and someone with a strangely menacing email address, trick at teenpoison.org. He was asking for access to specific clients to presumably infect their delivery with uh, some kind of malware, and uh, we wouldn't give it to him. And so it escalated from there, where then he asked for a ransom. He asked for uh, $1,337 in Bitcoin. Do you remember what went through your head? We're going to go out of business. That's what went through my head. It's like my, my customers, I need to protect them. And like, this is not good. That's, it was just looping through my head. Is like, how, how deep does this go? Turns out it went very, very deep and far beyond this little California company. I'm Dina Templerest, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, the untold story of a random hack that helped send one of the world's most notorious hackers to prison. And what happened after that? Well, holy cow. Stay with us. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. In June 2011, almost a year before the hack at MaxCDN, a 17-year-old from Birmingham, England, was wreaking havoc on the British political scene. His name was Junaid Hussein, and he and his friends had managed to break into an email account that belonged to a staffer who was working for the former prime minister, Tony Blair. Tony Blair, you remember him. The youngest British prime minister since 1812, elected in 1997, so Hussein found the staffer's copy of Blair's address book, and he thought it would be funny to publish it. So he set up a website and provided the names, phone numbers, and identifying information on a bunch of people in Blair's inner circle. Blair didn't find it so amusing. What happened in relation to the hacking was, uh, was pretty despicable <laughs> what happened there. Um, but, but it managed to put Hussein uh, and his hacker friends on the map. 
Suddenly, everyone knew the name of this group called Team Poison. Team Poison, an anarchist hacktivist group began by jamming... Now, Team Poison used to tell this one journalist and hacktivist named Lorraine Murphy about their antics before they went public. They would call me and say, we're going to do this. And do you want to interview us? It'll happen on this day. You can interview us an hour later or whatever. And Murphy said they thought the Blair Address book hack was hilarious. They were just saying, this is so funny. You are going to love this when it hits. She and Junaid Hussein had met years earlier on Twitter. Which is basically where I live. He was very much active in anonymous activities. And so I came across him on that score. I've been writing about Anonymous since about 2006. And we just got chatting and you know how some people you just click with? I just clicked with him. She said he seemed like a nice guy, a sweet guy. Well, when we would talk, he would say, oh, you sound, you sound a little down, sister. Can I, can I maybe give you some music to make you feel better? And he would give me some music that I really didn't like. <laughs> Rap music. She didn't like his rap music. But he was trying. He felt the pain of entire groups. Murphy said it was that empathetic side of him that seemed to motivate a lot of Team Poison's hacks. They had a philosophical basis for all of this. Um, Team Poison really did think that the government needed to be taken down a peg they needed to be taught to respect the privacy of the people. So although they were trolls, and although a lot of this was hilarious, it still had a moral imperative. Which was power to the people. Power to the people. In other words, as they saw it, they weren't breaking into servers for money or for revenge. They thought they had a nobler purpose. Murphy says Trick genuinely believed that all this hacking could draw attention to things that needed to change in the UK. The people shouldn't fear the government, the government should fear the people kind of thing. And that's where they were coming from. Even a former prime minister wasn't safe from them, their hacks seemed to say. From a propaganda position, you have to understand that a, a successful troll like that is hugely powerful, not just for you and your team, but for everyone who sees it, it tells everyone that the target is vulnerable. And there were lots of vulnerable targets back then. Between 2010 and 2013, the teenagers who made up Team Poison claimed to have broken into more than 1,400 different servers and websites. They're believed to have hacked Mark Zuckerberg, hackerly identity, right? so French President Nicolas Sarkozy, cela, la République française. Blackberry, and even Scotland Yard's counterterrorism hotline. You're constantly blocking our lines. In that case, they bombarded the switchboard with automated calls until it crashed. There are people that genuinely need to get through and talk to us. And like you're blocking what? these lines. You are. Not long after the attack, Junaid Hussein gave an interview to the Telegraph newspaper. And he told them that he'd hacked the terrorism hotline because, in his opinion, terrorism doesn't exist. He said authorities fabricated it to demonize Islam. Against that backdrop, the hack on Chris Yulin's company seemed almost pedestrian. Justin Dorfman was on duty when Trick appeared in the Max CDN chat. I was kind of like on the higher up, uh, more senior level uh, support person. So, we And one to... of the people on his support team sent him a message saying some guy named Trick was threatening to hack their site. And we were just like, 
being very careful of what we said because he was very trigger happy um, and it didn't seem that stable uh, and just very immature. Yeah. At one point he asked for money and eight seconds later, he says, have you got my money yet? Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, this is like... Do you know who I am? The hacker wrote. This is Trick from Team Poison. It meant nothing to Justin. He just kept the guy talking. It seemed like you were almost like... um. You know how if you have a kidnapper in the movies yeah. and you try to keep the kidnapper on the line as long as you can? Honestly, that's how I kind of felt like it because I knew if we came back at him hard, it was going to backfire on us. Just to prove he was serious, Trick starts defacing their website. I was like, okay, you know, obviously this guy uh, knows what he's doing. So I didn't really care who it was because he already proved himself. Then, Trick suggests that Justin just give him access to some of Max CDN's clients, and then they could forget the ransom. Justin said he was particularly interested in something called Stack Overflow, which is basically an online reference for computer programmers. Programmers use it constantly. So if he could get access to that and basically tell that Team Poison pwned and owned uh, Stack Overflow, then, you know, that's just... That's a feather in his cap. The problem for Trick? Max CDN said no. It wasn't just the principle of the thing. There was no way they were going to give hackers access to customer networks. But the truth was, Max CDN didn't actually host Stack Overflow. It just had some of its files. And there was one other thing about this that was weird. Chris Euland remembers that Trick kept mentioning Syria, like the country. Syria wasn't really in the consciousness of things at that time. So it felt like some kid pretending to be Syrian, pretending to be, you know, with the Syrian Electronic Army. The Syrian Electronic Army was a group of computer hackers that supported the government of Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. They first surfaced in 2011. Why he was mentioning Syria would become clear later. All you need to know right now is that Yulin and his team reacted like anyone would if they'd been hacked. They started moving in to protect their clients, and they called in the FBI. And I'd never done that before, um, but we, we called into the FBI. I didn't expect a lot. FBI agents showed up to talk to them two days later. And met us at an Italian restaurant near the office. A spot called Michelli's. It's actually a really cool place. Uh, it's uh, singing waiters, essentially, and waitresses. Um, it's kind of like comfort Italian food. And it's, uh, it's like a Hollywood icon. And were there singing waiters while you were explaining to him? At lunch, no. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's very calm. So no singing. Yulin said the agents tamped down expectations that they'd ever find and punish the people who had cracked into Max CDN systems. And he thought that was the end of it. But then... It must have been a couple of months uh, afterwards. We got a call with an update. And it was, hey, there's, there's a situation. We're working with the London Metro Police, and we want to share some information. The Tony Blair hack, the terrorism hotline, a legal case was building, and they needed Yulin's help. We were just like, holy cow, how did we wind up in the middle of all of this? When we come back, Trick's hacktivism takes a darker turn. This is Click Here. By 2012, Trick and Team Poison had launched more than a thousand hacks. And this wasn't something they did quietly. They crowed about it. They set up a website listing all their victims, and they kept adding to it, taunting authorities, 
daring them to bring them in. The group seemed so untouchable, even the people who were on the receiving end of their hacks hesitated to help. Chris Uland again. We, we were very reluctant to help the, um, the London police with the actual court case because of fear of retribution. But months after the Max CDN attack, the FBI and UK authorities convinced Euland that the information that the Max CDN team had gathered would put an end to Team Poison's hacking spree. Initially, Euland had seen Trick and his crew as kids who were just showing off their hacking skills. I pictured them as annoying, then I realized it was, you know, dangerous for the business, you know, whereas we might have had a customer that got defaced where we would then replace the website within an hour. Now it's like, okay, my customers are at risk um, and uh, there's nothing I can really do about it. So right after the hack, the team at MaxCDN got kind of obsessed with Trick. Who was this guy? What was he about? What was this team poison group? And they started compiling a dossier. So we had detailed logs and detailed uh, information on, uh, you know, how he had gotten in and his IP addresses. And it was that dossier that the FBI wanted Max CDN to share with investigators in the UK. And the whole package that we had put together for the FBI, you know, was, was enough to kind of pin that on him directly. A UK judge who heard the case determined Hussein was a cyber menace and sentenced him to six months in prison. It was... The biggest thing that you know, and I had worked on with law enforcement up until that point, I would assume it was um, uh, pretty big for them as well, because it was this seemingly kind of a situation where we could do nothing about it that turned into something that helped kind of the world, right? But the story doesn't end there, either for Yulin or for Trick. Yulin was so changed by the experience, he altered the direction of his businesses and started focusing on building cybersecurity companies. And I was like all in on, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid on security after this. And I was determined to make our next company a security company to try to solve these problems for people. And Trick, he was headed in a very different direction. Lorraine Murphy spoke to him shortly before his arrest. He was in a very dark place then. He was saying that he didn't think Britain could be saved. He didn't think that it was worth his time, is what he said. And that had been going on for a few weeks. I mean, he, when you get arrested, you normally know you're going to get arrested. You see the police following you. You know they're questioning your friends and so on. You can see the noose tightening. Um, and I think that's what was happening with him. Did he feel like what he was doing was wrong? No. I don't think he ever felt that. I think he felt when he was arrested that it was the system smacking him across the face for doing the right thing. Murphy says that when he was released, just four months later, he was a totally different guy. When he was in prison, he got more into his religion. That moved him from an anarchist position to more of a, an organized religion fundamentalist position. Which is not terribly unusual, frankly. Once you get into prison, radicalization happens a lot. Yeah, but for four months, that, that was pretty shocking. But maybe he was primed for that sort of thing. In hindsight, it's clear that the hacks he dreamed up had a specific political angle, like Operation Free Palestine, a scheme targeting Israeli credit cards, or the naming and shaming of members of the far-right English Defense League. Team Poison allegedly took aim at NATO and the UK Ministry of Defense. Murphy said their targets were meant to make clear what they thought was wrong with the UK. They attacked institutions they hoped they could change. 
But after four months in prison, Trick had clearly decided to take more action. After his release, he appeared in Syria and joined a group that would go on to rock the Middle East. We would eventually know them as ISIS. As a member of the group, Trick played to his strengths. He became their number one hacker, a leading member of ISIS's so-called cyber caliphate. Among other things, he broke into the U.S. Central Command's Twitter and YouTube accounts. He posted soldiers' addresses and contacts. He started using new techniques to recruit foreigners into the group. With his help, ISIS began using the web to spread their message and launch attacks. They learned to use encrypted apps, social media, and began to produce splashy online magazines and videos, like this one called Flames of War. The ravenous flame continued spreading, roaring in hunger for the fuel of Nusayri blood. But for all the hacks and bravado that marked his teenage years, it seems most people remember more about the way Trick died than what he did when he was alive. He was killed by an American drone strike just outside of Raqqa, Syria, on August 25th, 2015. Where were you when you heard that a drone strike had killed him? I don't remember. I think it was on the news, actually. And it was from a link someone had sent me that was was close to it. I don't remember, but, but I remember feeling like, holy cow, how did this happen? Is this even real? It just felt so ridiculous and unreal and um, not possible. Murphy heard about it where she got a lot of her information on Twitter. Oh, it was very sad. I was shocked. Because when you're dead, there's no possibility of redemption. I always thought, well, he'll get tired of living in a cave in Afghanistan or wherever. And he'll get tired of all of that. And eventually, he'll realize that he's doing harm. And we can get him back. And uh, we never did. We never got that chance. Junaid Hussein was just 21 years old. This is Click Here. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. You are the target of those who would trample the liberties of free men. This is a film from the 1950s, promoting the Federal Civil Defense Act, a program intent on preparing the country for attacks. Trained to fight small fires, know-how which may serve you well in any catastrophe. Now a major philanthropist hopes to create a more modern equivalent, a kind of cyber civil defense force that will prepare the country against cyber attack. And I'm very much a nerd of the 1950s. That's Craig Newmark. You may know him as the founder of Craigslist. The idea is to defend the country, and while we're at it, to provide uh, hundreds of thousands of really good cybersecurity careers. Newmark has created some $50 million in grants to do just that. 
He wants organizations to build the infrastructure, create policy frameworks, and kickstart digital education to make it happen. And he begins with the Girl Scouts. Uh, among the groups we're funding already are Girls Who Code and the Girl Scouts, who are already helping uh, train their membership. I have a neighbor who's, I think, just turned eight. She has uh, three cybersecurity merit badges. And I've discussed this uh, uh, at the uh, highest levels, who point out that uh, she probably will have no trouble getting clearance. Newmark says the rash of cyber attacks against this country spurred him to act. For the first time in any substantial ways, Americans have been attacked for military purposes on our own soil in ways that has never happened before. It's up to all of us to play whatever role that we uh, can. The grants Newmark announced last week include support to Consumer Reports. My uh, intentions are to help them work on the area of uh, cybersecurity nutrition labels. You want your baby cam to have been tested in good faith so you can have some confidence that it, uh, it'll be really hard to hack it. Maybe more importantly, you want a uh, cybersecurity safety label on your car because cars are now internet connected. And if a hacker stopped your car while you're on the freeway, or encourage your self-driving car to self-drive you off a cliff, either of those things would ruin your day. As part of the Cyber Civil Defense Fund, Newmark is also throwing his support behind the Global Cyber Alliance and the Ransomware Task Force at the Institute for Security and Technology. The Aspen Institute's Digital and Technology Program, Aspen Digital, will help manage the effort. And here are some of the top cyber and intelligence stories of the week. The record sat down with the leader of Air Force's cyber, Lieutenant General Tim Hawk, last week. And he said that the exercises Cyber Command has had with European nations over the past year have helped pave the way for intelligence and information sharing as Russia continues its battle in Ukraine. Cyber Command has done a really good job of, of creating exercise venues where we can bring multiple nations together we can share, in particular, our defensive tradecraft, how we approach uh, our ability to partner with an intelligence element to give us data, how we, how we then use that data to be more effective. Nation-state hackers appear to have created a roster of custom-made tools that can help them breach industrial control systems used in some of America's critical infrastructure. In an alert released by the Department of Energy, CISA, the NSA, and the FBI on Wednesday, the agencies warned critical infrastructure operators of potential attacks on their control systems and SCADA devices. The alert says the tools used in the attacks were designed specifically for particular controllers and called on companies to be vigilant. And finally, thanks to researchers at ESET and Microsoft, Ukraine stopped a possible attack on its power systems and discovered a new variant of Indestroyer, an infamous piece of malware that was used by Russia's sandworm group in 2016 to cut power in Ukraine. CERT-UA, the Ukrainian's computer emergency response team, said the attack used the malware to target several infrastructure elements, including high-voltage electrical substations, computers at a facility, 
network equipment, and server equipment running Linux operating systems. They didn't say how close Russia came to shutting down the power. Today's episode was produced by Will Jarvis and Sean Powers, and it was edited by Karen Duffin, with fact-checking by Darren Ancrum. Ben Levingston composed our theme and original music for the episode, and we had additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Martin Matashak of The Record for his interview with General Hawk. Click Here is a production of The Record by Recorded Future. And we thought we should add, in the interest of full disclosure, Chris Eulen's latest company, Security Trails, was purchased by Recorded Future late last year. Recorded Future had no relationship with Eulen when his brush with Trick occurred 10 years ago. And finally, we want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts. And you can connect with us at clickyourshow.com. I'm Dina Templereston. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.